Anybody watching these games? Like, you know, tuning in to the Eastern Conference playoffs or even staying up to watch the West? Anybody? If you are, I'm guessing you're having some similar thoughts to what I've had. Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or baseball. I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Pirates where you found this. The Panthers beat the Bruins 6-3 to in Boston last night, and I'm going to presume that you care about that outcome as much as I do. However, however, there was a lot that went into it that I believe is relevant toward what your favorite franchise just went through, which is to say they wouldn't have done that. They couldn't have done that. Oh, they could have hung with the Bruins. They showed that all season long. They could have gotten through two periods with a 2-2 tie the way the Panthers did with the Bruins last night. They could have gone into the third period and maybe even popped a goal and taken an early lead. What they wouldn't have done is finish it in any form or fashion. Whereas Florida went and scored four goals and ran off with the thing. Because the Panthers are a better team. The Panthers are a more complete team. They're deeper, they're more dynamic, they're more energetic, and they have way more Matthew Kachucks than the Penguins do. Now, I'm not saying this to, you know, rub salt in anybody's wound or anything else. And I understand that this would probably come across as patently obvious to anybody watching, not just that series, but any of them. Have you seen Islanders versus Hurricanes? Have you wondered what would have happened if the Penguins had slid up another spot and taken the Islanders spot and you watched the way the Canes connect and just make things happen in particular off the rush? Uh, maybe as well as any team in hockey, and think what that would have been like against the Penguins, especially after the Hurricanes went 3-0 and against Pittsburgh in the regular season. You could do this to almost any series that's taking place right now. And what you come away with, what I come away with, is that, my goodness, thank the hockey gods, my friends, that your team didn't make it. Because A, they would have been wiped out in a great hurry. They would have been wiped out so fast, no one would have even known that they participated. And the only thing they would have gotten for it is a sticker or a badge to commemorate the continuation of the playoff streak. And that is it. And you know what else might have happened? You might not have seen Fenway Sports Group make an appearance at a game in Columbus the last day of the regular season and come to the conclusion, the rightful conclusion, that everyone involved needed to be fired. You also would have seen a continuation, I think, of some of that, uh, that organizational arrogance that I described on yesterday's show. You would have seen everybody still feeling like, oh, no, if only we had gotten this bounce or that bounce. And you would have never seen, never seen, please trust me on this. You would have never seen any sort of retro thinking about, wow, we really did butcher that expansion draft, didn't we? And what in the heck could anyone have been thinking to execute or even to conceive the Mikhail Granlund trade, or the Jeff Carter extension, or Kasperi Kapanen, or Brock McGinn, or the ex 
expansion draft. Take it from someone who's been covering this team for a very, very long time. There is the occasional good to come from the bad, but it's got to be legit bad. It's got to be right out there in front of everyone's faces bad sometimes. And when you're dealing with an absentee ownership, doesn't know anything at all about hockey. In fact, the people who are making this next hire don't know anything at all about hockey. And to my knowledge, don't have anybody who knows anything about hockey involved in the actual process. But I digress. Then you're just so much better if it falls and just collapses right in front of everyone to the point where no one could misinterpret it. I'm not going to lie. I, seeing these first three nights of hockey, and I, I've watched a fair amount of it, and understanding that within my own sight lines from press boxes and watching the Penguins, and remember that when you're covering a team, you're not doing a whole lot of watching other teams unless they're playing the team that you're covering. It's it's a really stark sight, you know? It's a contrast and a half. The Penguins didn't have that extra lever, you know, the one that says, all right, now it's time for warp drive. And they're going to go and get it. If they had, they sure as heck wouldn't have lost the Blackhawks on that final fateful night at PPG Paints Arena. They would have just said, you know what? We're about to run this team out of the building. Played last night, bunch of AHL guys, uh, goaltender with an 882 safe percentage. We are just going to just smoke them. And I mean, right from the start. They didn't have that. They weren't equipped with that. There's a reason that Mike Sullivan was somehow amazingly comfortable saying to us repeatedly that Jason Zucker is that guy who drags us into the fight. Drags us? <laughs> Why'd you need somebody to drag you? Like it's a kicking and screaming thing. Like Zucker has to go around the room and pull on everyone's earlobe to get them interested. That is not a formula for success in the regular season on a Monday night against Ottawa, let alone in the type of hockey that we're watching right now. Be very, very, very grateful that you are not seeing the Penguins on television right now. When we come back, J1Q. Today's J1Q comes from Bill Kurtz, who says, The Penguins need at least five forwards, one defenseman, and a goalie. And they've got $20 million in cap space. How is anyone going to help this team in the short term? This isn't even considering the couple of high-priced duds that are already signed for next year. And of course, Bill, I'm going to presume that you're referring to uh, both Jeff Carter and Mikhail Granlund. You know, depending on how Jeff Petrie is used or how much age is going to chip away at his skill set, you could probably throw him into that mix as well. I like Petrie. Okay, I think Petrie's got something to contribute to this team. I just don't think it's utilized properly. But yeah, what, what you're going to have to do, I believe, whoever the GM is, is going to have to do a couple of things. And this is really painting with a broad brush, so... You know, bear with me on this. One is you're going to have to make some moves that suck, like that hurt. 
And that's one of the benefits of bringing in somebody from the outside who can maybe look at a colder approach. Uh, You're going to have to come in and say, all right, uh, I really like, for example, here, I'm going to throw one in there, Marcus Patterson. Okay, I am not advocating for trading Pedersen on any sort of punitive basis. I thought he really came into his own this year. But if you have to move salary out and you have to exchange it for somebody who is worthwhile, you're going to have to do some things you don't like. Maybe one that will make uh, everyone a little less cringy would be Brian Rust. Uh, there will be a market for Rust if you make it clear that he's available via trade. There will be a market for him. There were teams that were willing to pay, I believe, more than what Rust ended up getting from the Penguins last summer. And you could get, you know, a couple of younger guys, somebody who would fit more into this energy thing that I'm talking about so that you don't have to have Zucker, presuming they can even bring Zucker back since he's an unrestricted free agent, uh, dragging everybody into the fight. But what has to happen out of that scenario before I get to the second point is that you've got to see energy guys dot the bottom of that roster, even if they're minimum freaking wage. And that was the thing that drove me the most nuts about this past season and the roster management. I kept joking, maybe I was joking, maybe I wasn't, that what they really needed was about four or five Brian Gibbons guys. You know, for those of you who go that far back, just... Run around out there. Make things happen. Keep the puck in the opposing zone. I don't care if you score. Just don't get scored on. I don't care if you you know run up big numbers or anything like that. I care that you wear down the other team so that when the good players come on, they've got a little bit more room and a little bit more comfort level. Didn't happen at all. Never came close to happening. Number two that has to happen is that this GM is going to have to impose his or her will on the head coach. Meaning, if I like Valtteri Pustinen, I as the GM, then you are going to play Valtteri Pustinen. If I like Alex Nylander or I like Sam Poulin, and I'm already running out of decent prospects to name, okay, then you're going to put them on the ice because I need to see what they have. I need to see that with my own GM's eyes because I'm never going to be able to make a fair and accurate assessment of what I have unless I see them myself at the NHL level. I'm not going to pull that off by watching training camp scrimmages. This is why I keep referring to this next GM as needing to have serious stones. Maybe more than any other trait. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Penguins. We're going to do another one of these tomorrow. 